Welcome back to the next part of this Truth and Rhythm episode. Be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. Also become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you so much for your interest and support. Enjoy. How did you and Bernie feel about the uh, Stranger film? Stranger. The Stranger Bernie Royal on Earth. It was a documentary. Came oh, out. that piece of crap. That piece of crap killed the theory. I despised it. How that came about is our son was a manager of the basketball team. He has a type of um, handicap that precluded. He had a type of cerebral palsy. So... He was manager of the basketball team at Bridgewater Raritan High School, where he went to school. And after my son graduated, he got a job at Fulton Ford, which was owned by Phil DeFiori's father. And Phil, Phil's father always treated our son very nicely, gave him his first job, the whole nine yards. So when Phil approached me and told me that he had passed the bar, but he didn't want to be a lawyer... And he re only he was surprised to find that this mild mannered man who came to the basketball games was actually this incredible musician, and he wanted to do a documentary. To my everlasting regret, I gave him permission, and this is what Phil Fiore did. He never fulfilled the contract. He sent only one thousand dollars that he was supposed to send. He never sent statements to this day. He then turned around and released some album he called Improvisario, which Bernie was furious about. Because what it was, was Bernie and some other musicians who prefer not to be named, who were noodling around, you know, like they do before they actually record. And this piece of slime, Phil DeFiori, recorded it. And then, to add insult to injury, he mixes it. Who the hell? does a Bernie Worrell album and not have perfect pitch Bernie's ears there? Well, the answer to that is Phil DeFiori. Because he decided that it was better to have his brother mix Bernie Worrell. And then he released that garbage. How do I feel about Stranger? Phil called me one time and said, well, you know, what, Bernie, now he knew damn well that Bernie was battling alcoholism. And he wanted to meet Bernie at the local bar and take pictures. I said, if you want to take pictures of Bernie anywhere, you go take pictures in front of the Lincoln Center for, Lincoln Center for Performing Arts because that is the caliber 
of musician that he is. It seems to me that Phil was determined to show Bernie at his worst in that documentary. With exception of a few interviews with people who love him, he concentrated on Bernie's drinking. And I despise him for that. I'm waiting on somebody else to do a true documentary on Bernie. Amen. It's high time for In the that. meantime, well, in the meantime, I commissioned a man named Cedric Hendricks. He is writing Bernie's official bio. Hopefully, it'll be out next year if he can find a literary agent. That's the holdup right now. And I've read part of it. Because people ask me, well, I was approached to write a bio or, or a book. But it turns out those people just wanted something salacious and gossipy. And I told them the same thing I tell everybody. I was wife, not groupie. Whatever was going on in the sidelines, like that documentary Bobby Brown put out, I knew nothing about, except the coke. But all the rest of it, no. Absolutely not. I was helping take care of Bernie's mom. I was taking care of my children. My son needed intensive therapies for the first five years of his life. Kid, who had time for that foolishness? So I decided that I wanted to have Bernie's real story told by a musicologist, by somebody who doesn't look at Bernie as, oh, he's the greatest key- funk keyboardist in the world. First of all, Bernie did not like that word greatest. He said, nobody's the greatest or the best. Everybody hears what they hear and does what they do. And I believe that too. So Cedric is writing Bernie's bio and he approached George's people and (laughs) they refused, period. I think they think it's going to be a hatchet job on George, but here's the real deal. George is just a blip on the horizon in Bernie's career. Bernie was so much more than just P-Funk. And the album that we will be releasing, hopefully no later than next year, but maybe this year, is going to prove that. For those people who think, I don't know Bernie Worrell, you don't. Do you remember hearing this song? Well, that was Bernie. You remember hearing that song? Well, that was Bernie. The B-52s, that was Bernie. Keith Richards, that was Bernie. M2MA, so forth. All of them. Even the P-Funk songs that George did not credit Bernie for, like Atomic Dog. And he tried to erase Bernie, like the Mothership um, exhibition at the Smithsonian. What a travesty that is. Even Bootsy agreed. Because long before Bootsy was there, Bernie Worrell was there. So how petty is it of George? How much is he showing his jealousy and low self-esteem to not have Bernie in his rightful place? Well, it was really interesting to hear that backstory on the Stranger documentary. I had no idea. And I was just really scratching my head, you know, ever since I first saw that. Um, So hopefully we'll get a documentary uh, before too long that does it right and does it full justice. I mean, how could he even be proud of such garbage? And then to hear Tina at the very end, I worry about Bernie. Yeah, yeah, worry about your own drinking. How's about that? Well, Judy, was was the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame situation awkward also? 
Not to Bernie. Although I had been told by two separate entities, and neither one of them want to step forward and, and verify it, that there was active resistance from George's camp to Bernie being there until they pushed back. But if you look at that travesty, you'll see some individual, I don't remember his name, somebody they told me used to throw pieces of paper out into the audience with something that looks like a keyboard way down in front and Bernie Worrell way in the back. How do oh, you yeah, do so over, over Unless you're so jealous. Overton Lloyd, maybe? Overton Lloyd what? Was maybe the guy that throws the paper things in the audience? No, it was somebody who has a group out that wanted, he wanted Bernie in it, and I, I blocked it. He has this group called 420 Funk Mile. Oh, uh, Michael Clip Payne? Payne? Yeah, Clip. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. He's all the way up front with his little keyboard looking thing, and Bernie's all the way in the back. How pity. Hmm. Did, did you say so? And you notice you didn't see the brides there, huh? No, I know. The women, they didn't get their... They haven't gotten their, their due, it seems. Did, did you get along with the other wives? Or you said you guys didn't socialize much, but did you have any interaction with the other what wives? What other wives? What <laughs> other wives? When I got there, there were no wives. Huh? The, I met Carol, George's wife. Um, but I think that by that time, she was so used to his shenanigans, she didn't know that I was terminate with Bernie. So she was nice, but, you know, there were no... We didn't live near each other. Let me see, who else was married? Well, I understand many of them were married, but I never met their wives because they were busy living with other women in Detroit or wherever. So let me see, who else was the wife? Uh, Bernie and I got married after being together for four years or maybe five because I refused to get married. I didn't ever want to be married again. And then I think Ray got married. Um, to one of the ladies who sang at Hot Buttered Soul. She was nice. And then Gary and Linda got married. And I think that's it for wives, unless you know some I don't. Did uh, Bernie seem to admire any other uh, keyboardists like Herbie Hancock or Stevie Wonder? Or, you know, did you ever sense that? Yeah, of course he did. Starting with Thelonious Monk, Herbie Hancock. Um, Bernie appreciated all other uh, musicians, period. I'll tell you a funny story. Um, I don't remember why we were there, but there's a franchise of music schools, uh, something, School of Rock, that's what it's called. And I had taken Bernie there to meet somebody because we used to do the local and legend music festival. And I went to walk, go to the bathroom, and I hear somebody well away on the drums, and I couldn't see anybody. And as I got closer, I see this kid. Honest to God, he must have been all four feet tall. And he was bouncing up on the seat trying to reach the cymbals and bouncing back down to reach the bass drum. And I turned around and went back up, Bernie, and said, you got to see this. So Bernie came with me and kept looking at me. I said, no, just wait. 
and he hears the music and he starts to smile and then he sees the kid and he just beamed from ear to ear. That kid later came and played at the local and legend music festival. I don't remember his name. So no, Bernie appreciated musicians, which is why they all loved him. Bernie never tried to overshadow anybody. Anybody that wanted to learn something, it got to the point where the guitarists in P-Funk, especially Billy, would walk up to Bernie so he, they didn't have to use the tuning fork. They would just play and Bernie would do something and they would do something else and they would keep doing it until Bernie nodded his head and now your guitar's in, in tune. I have to tell you, Judy, you know, I've, I've done dozens of interviews with, um, you know, people from jam bands through P-Funk that worked with Bootsy. I mean, worked with uh, Bernie and um, every one of them just could not speak more highly of the experience, you know, that he was just so nice, uh, so accommodating and, and, and helpful, like you're saying. And um, man, he's just thought of and spoken of so highly in, in musical circles. You know what they never understood? And I'm glad they didn't. They felt they needed Bernie, but Bernie needed them too. He didn't need adulation, even though that's nice. He didn't need being clapped for, even though that's nice. He needed interaction with other musicians, people who spoke his language. And he didn't care if you spoke it as well as he did, were just starting out, or you did it better. Because he didn't think of things like that. It was you know, the best analogy, I think, is for Bernie, music truly was a language. And anybody who spoke that language, he spoke to. Did you uh, have any interactions with Bill Aswell? Not many. As a matter of fact, not very much at all. Bill and Bernie interacted together. Bill is that rare person who I trusted, even after George to not screw over Bernie. The only thing George, uh, Bill ever did that I didn't like was when he let George Clinton on Bernie's Blacktronic Science album. I didn't, for some reason, people seem to think George has to be involved for Bernie to get his due. And maybe they're right, as crazy as the music industry and fans are. But to me, it was just one more way of letting George uh, make publishing on Bernie's back. And I didn't want George around Bernie anyway. What's interesting with Bill Laswell is that so many of the former P-Funk players came and worked with him. Uh, do you know if uh, Bernie was involved in, in getting any of them on board with Bill Laswell? Or how did all those other... He may have been. He may have been because, as I said before, musicians recommend other musicians when they're in, like for instance a good example is the album that um evan taylor is working on at bernie's right now when he was talking when he's talking to bootsy about something and the song that Bo bootsy's doing bootsy said um i can hear buckethead on this and so let's suppose nobody knew who buckethead was well at that point somebody would reach out to buckethead you see how that's how Bernie did it. The only time I ever saw Bernie actually hold auditions was for one of the last incarnations of Bernie Worrell and the Woo Warriors. 
And I remember because that's when Gary Sullivan was hired. Bernie was almost done listening to musicians with Moon. And this guy came down the stairs in a rush. And I'm sitting outside the door um, making notes on who's coming in and blah, blah, blah. And he said, is it over? Is it over? I was upstairs doing the baba and I want to go. I, wanna... I said, well, what do you play? The drums. And I laughingly said to him, promise me you don't play. Lean on the cymbals all the time. And he grinned. He said, no, bass. I said, okay. So somebody in there wanted to be done. But I said to Bernie, you know, this guy was upstairs working, Bernie. At least, you know, listen to him, all right? He said, okay. So when, and he went and he came out hired. Gary has remained one of my favorite people. I mean, he's funny. He's nice. And he could play drums. He also plays with the Chromags. Not my kind of music, but hey, the man is versatile. Speaking of versatile, I mean, such a range. Uh, you were naming a lot of them that Bernie worked with. But, you know, when I think about people like Les Claypool from Primus and Ginger Baker from Cream and just, man, just A to Z. Mm-hmm. Yes. And when I uh, interviewed Bill Laswell a while back, you know, I mean, he said that he thinks that he probably worked with Bernie on like hundreds of recordings. Probably did. One of my all-time favorite albums of Bernie's solo albums is Blacktronic Science. When I heard time was events from the elsewhere it was on my 50th birthday and i was headed off to meet melanie and when that harpsichord intro ended and when it's a hard driving funk i was like all over the road oh my god yo, he doesn't live in the elsewhere he lives in the universe and that was the start of tales from the universe and then of course i had to shut it down when george's mouth started off for George has ruined many a song for me, from his salacious, um, inept, ridiculous lyrics. I, I just, I mean, you know, just shut up and let the music play. I love that track. I felt the same way when I first heard that one, Judy. Knocked my socks off. What is there any other um, story or couple stories that you remember from maybe traveling with Bernie that just were memorable or unforgettable or something unexpected or funny happened or <laughs> I'm going to tell you something I was thinking about the other day. I told you that I'm suing George, right? Period. Well, I don't remember why this memory popped in my head, but George single-handedly saved my relationship with Bernie one time. I bet he regrets that now. <laughs> It was on my 21st birthday, and I was flying with, I don't remember, I think it was Billy Bass or maybe Boogie, to Buffalo, New York. I got on the plane. It was my 21st birthday, and I had champagne. Got to the hotel room. Bernie had champagne. Got to the gig, drank some more, and all this time I had not eaten. And then the show started. And I was feeling no pain whatsoever. And basically, I never, ever do certain things. Dance in public because Bernie didn't like it. Well, apparently, I was dancing so much, I tossed my clog into the audience. Bernie just left. And when I got there, I found out that he was very upset um, that I had been drunk. 
even though I was a very funny, nice drunk. <laughs> and George had talked him down and told him that I was never like that. It was nice to see letting go of my inhibitions. And all I did was dance. I didn't dance with anybody, whatever. Bernie told me about that. And years later, when he became an alcoholic, I told him about it. So you want a story? There's one. Because if George ever hears this, I bet he's going to say, I never should have done it. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Uh, He probably, knowing the state he was in, he probably doesn't remember it. No, George was not doing crack back then. He was just snorting it. He wasn't doing crack. And George didn't drink. I don't know if he ever drank. Um, I can't think if you're talking about being on the road with Bernie. No, that was always stressful for me. I only did it because he wanted me to. What what happened with the um, David Letterman experience? It was he was on there. It looked like he was going to be part of that band, and it was interesting and exciting at the time, and it was short lived. Yeah, well, what happened was Paul Schaefer invited Bernie on. Paul had been a fan of Bernie's for a long time. They were mutual fans of each other, actually. And we got word that um, the powers that be wanted horns instead of two keyboards. And Paul was not happy about it. Bernie said, good, because I was going to (laughs) freeze. I, of course, was delighted while it was happening with the steady income and sorry to see that go, but it was what it was. So there was no real like conflict. It was just, they wanted a certain different sound. Yeah. Yeah. They wanted three horns instead of two keyboards. If there was conflict, we were never told that was what we were told. Hmm. And Bernie was fine with it. If Bernie's life was a series of, I'm doing this, okay, that's done, now I'm doing that. Okay, that's done, now I'm doing this. Nothing was ever forever. And I don't think, well, it isn't for anybody, actually. You know, with the uh, inside view that you had at the time, Judy, I'm guessing that you were not terribly surprised when the P-Funk Empire basically collapsed in the early 80s? The P-Funk Empire was collapsing long before it actually collapsed. Because as George declared himself emperor, I call him emperor with no clothes, um, and sent out things like um, work for hire agreements. That was funny. So I get this phone call from one of his minions. Oh, hi, Judy. They all start out bubbly. Oh, hi, Judy. Um, just checking for George to see whether or not uh, Bernie signed that work for hire agreement. Nope. Uh, well, did you get it? Yes. Do you know where it is? Yes. Oh, can you tell me where it is? Yes. In the cylindrical file. What's that? The garbage. Now tell George not to send any more of that garbage over to Bernie. He's nobody's work for hire and never will be. Next conversation. Um... George wants Bernie to come do this tour in Europe. So I've heard. Uh, Well, um, what's it going to take to get Bernie to do it? That's what George wants to know. I said $60,000 up front in full. 
<laughs> what? I said, well, consider. Most of the time, George doesn't fully pay Bernie what he's owed on tour anyway. Then he releases CDs and DVDs in which Bernie gets absolutely nothing. The only person that gets anything is Boy George. So, thank you very much. We'll take all of Bernie's money up front. You crazy. I said, no. Tell George I'm not crazy and hung the phone up. Then when Bernie came home, I told him about it. And he laughed. He said, you actually said that? I said, hell yeah. You think he's going to give you 60000 I said, hell no. I said, but guess what? He said, what? I said, you're not going to be there for him to exploit either. So it's a win-win. I watched Bernie perform with walking pneumonia. He was diagnosed in New Jersey, told me I always do my gigs. Come with me. I went with them. They were in England. I made him stay in the bed. I went out and got his food three times a day and fed him. Bernie's worth ethic was incredible. And that's why when he was dying, he was so hurt. He was supposed to go to Nelson Ledges Quarry Park in Ohio and sit in with, I think, Sean Lennon and Les Claypool. And he was excited about it. But he had come from a treatment that day. And I had gone off to get him a walker. And the doctor told me he cannot go up 7,000 feet in the air, Judy. He won't survive it. So I told Bernie that we we're going to have to cancel the gig. No, I always do my gigs. You know, I never miss a gig. You come. And the doctor was shaking her head. And I said, I tell you what, if you can walk with this walker, Bernie, then you can go. Because I knew he couldn't. He held on to the walker and then collapsed in my arms. That's how much Bernie would never not willingly do a game. And to their credit, when I called Christina at Nelson Ledges Quarry Park, bless her heart, I said, well, we will return the deposit. She says, no, you keep it for Bernie. And that was, that was the end of it. Wow. I think he lasted another three weeks. So that was like in May or something like that, 2016. Yeah, because he died on June 24th. Yeah, well, like you said, it's the surprise, I guess, is that um, the empire took as long as it did to start to crumble uh, with all that was going on. But um, Well, not really. If you look at Georgia's strategy, okay, when they were doing, I don't remember, I think it was computer something or other, there was some Vivian Scott person was involved. Um, they called, it was out in L.A., and they called for Bernie to do something, and I said, do what? She says, well, George wants everybody together in a huge mob scene. I said, well, that won't be Bernie. Oh, well, George, I said, I don't care what George wants. I said, well, this is George's show. I said, well, then George should exercise some common sense. Bernie is not, will not ever be part of a mob. And that's why you don't see Bernie in that picture. You see Bernie and George together somewhere but you don't see him in that mob now the mob over a period of time i came to realize what george was doing 
as one musician or another say, well, I ain't going to play if I don't get paid. Well, you've got three other guitarists right on stage over there. You've got two drummers. You've got this one. You've got that one you can call. The mob, fuck mom was born. Never again was George going to allow anybody to say they weren't going to do a gig or interfere with the show. And strangely enough, a lot of the people, take, let's take Mike Hampton. When they went over to Mike Hampton's house or his mother's house, comma, Mike played Maggot Brain lick for lick. Many of the musicians standing on the outside wanting to get in could play the songs already. It was George's own personal employment agency motoring around with him. Okay, you can play this part. Keep everybody else off step. There was one person and one person only George could never replace, even though he tried. And that was Bernie. I actually read where one of them said he could play something Bernie had played lick for lick. I mean, that's good. That means you have accurate pitch. So do I. But to be able to pull it out of the ether and channel it through your fingers, that is a gift not known to everybody. So, yeah, George did that. And I watched him do it. And he said, you don't understand what I'm trying to do. I said, oh, yes, I do. But you can't replace Bernie. And I laughed at him and walked away. And he never has. He definitely has not. You know, that is an element that's been absent ever since he was not part of it. Um, it's just a completely well, higher, higher level. A higher level that Bernie took it to. Yeah, well. Without question. Not in George's mind. In... I think it was 2014 backstage at BB King's. I went to go talk to George. So I was going to try to see if he would let Bernie Worrell and the Moo Warriors open for him. I knew he wouldn't because he knew, you know, what they were capable of. Um, but I had to try. And George leaned forward, spittle flying everywhere. I made Bernie. I made Bernie. I looked at him and I said, delusional much? And walked out. Now, in George's mind, he did everything. He directed the music, told them what to play. I don't know what else is going on in the aberration he calls a mind, period. But that was a direct quote of what the crazy guy said to me in October, I think it was, 2014 at BB King's backstage. Then I watched him go on stage when um, BWW was playing and put his back slimy arm around Bernie, and I just wanted to throw up. I never even told Bernie this for a couple of months. And even then, he just shrugged. Yeah, well. George will be George kind of thing, right? Bernie's philosophy was let it go. This is what he basically said to me when he was dying. Let it go. I said, absolutely not. I said, Bernie, you are the only one that can do anything about what George has done to everybody. Because people will believe you. Because of your being a child prodigy, because of your classical education, because of the music you have already put out. 
Judy, did you uh, happen to but, see Tear the Roof Off, the, that documentary? Is it about a bunch of them talking about George and Coke and women and that kind of thing? Yeah, that's it. And no, when he got in touch with me for Bernie to participate, what I told him then was, we, Bernie will do it if you sign an agreement that should that documentary ever go public and you're making money off of it, that Bernie will share. And he just faded away. So I said no. And then I was glad he didn't because as I said to somebody the other day who is very interested in the case against George, and I was asked why Bernie didn't participate, I said, I'm not interested in George's salacious activity, his reprehensible personal life, his drug usage or any of that. I am dedicated to the day I drop dead, and I've set in motion that even if I die during this case, it goes on, to justice for Bernie. I don't want one penny more than to do to Bernie, and I don't want one penny less. And I want Bernie to take his rightful place in the lexicon of music for everything that he's done, which is why the bio which is why the album coming out. Let's talk about that. Want to talk about that? Absolutely. What's, what's the album? When Bernie was dying, and that's what I'm going to tell you. When he, well, when we moved to Jersey, of, uh, from Jersey to the state of Washington in 2015, um, there were all these heavy things. And I asked Bernie what they were, uh, stuff I was working on and stuff from years. So I don't know. Bernie's dying. I said, well, we talked about what to do with them. So what we're doing, I think I told you about Evan Taylor and CMH Records, right? Well, I got in touch with another record company first, and they came and got the uh, tapes and digitized them. And then everything went rapidly downhill from there, period. So I got rid of them. And I got in touch with Evan. Originally, I was asking Evan and Lucy and Will to recommend a record company that might want to do this. And then, I don't know how to pronounce it right, Luantica Records, Evan Taylor, is now working on it. And what we're doing is they're um, songs that Bernie has keys on. And we're adding musicians to each track, each song. For instance, so far, Bootsy, Will... Stevie Wonder, Lily Hayden, Catherine Russell, Michael Moon Rubin um, are all going to be on it and more are coming. The idea is something I said to a record company exec many years ago. Well, we don't understand the concept. You know, he's all over the place. Well, then advertise it all over the place. If he's jazz, put it in jazz. If he's this, he's that. And that's what we're doing. Every single genre that Bernie loved to play or played, classical. I'm right now, trying to, they're trying to find a track that uh, we can approach um, a reggae person to put on, because Bernie loved reggae. There's a classical keyboardist who's going to add some classical music to one of Bernie's keys. The idea is every single song represents Bernie's ability to play across all genres. And yes, there's some funk, but it's not just funk. Just like Bernie was not just funk. 
I'm very excited about it. Yeah, that sounds awesome. So you hope that'll come out in 2023? I wanted it to come out at the end of the year, but when I told the previous guy, um, he just dug his heels in, and I, I, I subsequently found out that he didn't really have a record company, even though he calls it a record company, but he had no staff, you know, nobody to do anything. So it took forever, and then other things fell apart, and then... I don't want to badmouth him. Let's just say it's better I walked away and found Evan. Now things are progressing. Did Bernie leave a considerable amount of recordings that are not released? Not recordings, song ideas. As a matter of fact, when I got Evan on board, I um, was looking for something for him, and I came across tape cassettes, that has Bernie's notes on it, like song ideas, um, a CD that might say reggae, question mark. So I packaged them all up and I mailed them off to Evan last week. So he should have gotten them yesterday or the day before. Once he goes through that, we will know how much material we have for the future. Because that's it. That's all of it. Did, did he record at home at all or always at a studio? Or? <laughs> the few times, no. Bernie didn't, no. I ain't pushing no buttons. There was a gentleman by the name of Andy Janowiak, J-A-N-I-O-W-A-K, in Clinton, New Jersey. He was a drummer. And he had a studio, and Bernie would go there. So Andy could push the buttons and not Bernie. He doesn't, that's why Bernie didn't want to front a group. He doesn't, he didn't like to be distracted from playing. I can't remember all those words. As a matter of fact, when he sang Red Hot Mama, I would usually be rolling, laughing my ass off somewhere because he could never even get the first four stand, uh, lines right. <laughs> Red Hot Mama from Louisiana, Alabama. <laughs> you working too hard. <laughs> Did, did you have to prod oh him? God. Did you have to prod him to sing? No, we had discussions about it. He would say, "I don't want to." I would say, "You have to." I ain't gonna. Yes, you are. Well, how can I make it easier? Well, then we'll get other people who not only play but can sing. Walk in, Catherine Russell. The woman. It comes from jazz royalty, and she plays the mandolin. <laughs> Next time you see Catherine Russell anywhere, go see her. She is a vocalist, non-pare. Noted. How, how did uh, Bernie connect with, uh, I hope I pronounce it right, Queeks, uh, the uh, Native American Queeks band? is exactly right, yes. Well, we were running a Kickstarter to try to buy a van for the group to travel in. And the Preston Singletary contributed, and one of the results of that was a either private uh, performance or something. At any rate, Bernie came to Seattle, and he and Preston met, and Preston asked him to, you know, do this album or to do a show or whatever 
And Bernie called me. Preston and I talked. We worked out the terms. And Bernie loved it. Absolutely loved it. Yeah, so I think they did three records together. They had the one that came out, I think, still earlier this year, Wooch, which is actually, um, you can't see it because we're on the phone, but it's right behind me. It's actually right behind me on all these shows that I do. I got the cover, the uh, vinyl. I think there's actually four albums or probably more, but they just haven't got to them yet. This is a good example of Bernie, okay? Um and music being a language. So for Bernie, even though, okay, I think Preston is, and now again, I don't pronounce it correctly, Tiglet. And Rob is Sue, I believe. Um, when they're playing and chanting, all of that is music to Bernie. So he fits because all sounds are music to Bernie. When Bernie was playing with Maxine Brown, I remember we went to a restaurant and Bernie was bored. <laughs> I later would say a bored Bernie is a dangerous Bernie, but at any rate, I didn't know him well. And he sat there and took everybody's water glasses and sipped and then sipped it down some more and then did this, did and then finally, I guess he sipped it where he wanted in each glass and he took two butter knives and began making music. Maxine was embarrassed and said to me, can't you make him stop? I said, no. <laughs> Everything was music to Bernie. So working with Kalik was another expression, like working with African musicians like Aib Diang or any of the people that Bill Laswell introduced him to. Bernie thrived in that atmosphere. Absolutely thrived. Well, just talking to you and talking about his affinity for nature makes total sense with uh, that connection. Um, brings more depth to it, knowing that. Somebody once asked Bernie, if he wasn't a musician, what would he do? And he said something with animals. Well, I do dog rescue. And Bernie never knew when he came home if there would be two dogs or five dogs. <laughs> when Melanie was in college and, Bren and I would go out on with Bernie she would come over and take care of what she called the wuzu. I remember one time we had, let me see, one, two, three, four dogs, Himalayan cats, a cockatiel that Rita Coolidge had given our son, and a saltwater tank, 45-gallon saltwater tank, 55-gallon freshwater tank, and a 15-gallon freshwater tank in the kitchen. Oh, a lot of people don't know that Bernie and Jermaine Jackson co-produced one of Rita Coolidge's albums. A really nice lady. Hmm. Yeah, first I heard of that. <laughs> yeah. Where, where did the whole woo uh, concept come from? You know, did Bernie come up with that or was it some George came up with or what? Yes and no. Yes and no. I don't know who named the album All the Woo in the World, but I remember saying to me one time, um, I love you, I woo you, I love you, I woo you, and I laughed. And I said, do you know what woo means? 
to love you. I said, no, it means to entice. Yeah. Like music entices. I said, exactly right. So when it came time for Bernie to go out on his own and Bernie will run the Woo Warriors, we ran a little contest and we asked people to name the group and they came up with the Woo Warriors and we kept it going with, um, we came out with a newsletter called the Utopian. Um, somebody referred to Bernie as the Wizard of Woo. Um, I said he came from the universe and we just kept the whole Woo thing going. I remember with that, um, that first one, the uh, All the Woo in the World, I actually have um, a signed copy of that from Bernie. Um, I caught up with him, uh, a show he did at, I think it was The Strand in Southern California, in probably mid-90s, somewhere around there. And um, I didn't get to talk to him much, and he certainly seemed like a quiet guy, <laughs> but he did sign the record. And um, I always, always thought, you know, that his keyboard seemed mixed kind of low you know, considering it's supposed to be his spotlight. Um, so that was curious to me. <laughs> Enter George Clinton. <laughs> um, this has been amazing speaking with you about Bernie, Judy. I'm so appreciate it. Uh, is there anything else um, you'd like to get out there to his, his fans and um, the world? Yeah, find me a literary agent. Yes, somebody find me a literary agent. So Cedric can get this book out. Everybody needs to read Bernie's bio written by Cedric Hendricks because it is factual. It is all about Bernie. It's not bashing the nitwit. And if uh, somebody uh, does that or they have someone in mind, how, how can they uh, get that information to you? Oh, they can get it to you and then you can let me know. <laughs> okay. I'll be the intermediary. I'm trying to be as low. Yeah. You, know, you can just, I don't want to give out my email addresses. I'm already inundated with all kinds of stuff. And then when all of this comes out, it'll be the same thing. You know, I'm, I'm tired of explaining to people that I do not sign autographs. I have never in my life signed an autograph. I am not the talent. I will not do that. So, and people are curious. I mean, I understand that they're curious and I try to be as open as I can, but I am, I really just want to go retire back into my stained glass shed and do my stained glass and deal with my dogs and my memories. Do you ever feel like you've been unjustly villainized at times from the George camp? Oh, I don't care. <laughs> Listen, a really good analogy is Donald Trump. The man has told over 30,000 verifiable lies. And yet, there are people out there who don't believe it. They see his minions storming the Capitol, and they don't believe that. People don't like to have their images tarnished. And George has built one hellified image for himself. That is one reason why this case is so important. Because it is going to show the truth. I don't care what people say about me. I cared about one thing and one thing only. Justice for Bernie. I don't care about anybody else. I didn't love this man for close to 50 years. We weren't married to each other twice. 
because we didn't have a deep connection. I took care of Bernie. He took care of me. And I'm going to finish taking care of him by getting justice for him. And if there's anybody out there that doesn't like it, well, I'm going to quote Bernie's mother. You can kiss my aunt in the country. <laughs> <laughs> what Was he a mama's boy to any extent? Or, you know, you said he kept to himself. Oh, and, no. 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 No, no, no. Absolutely not. He was not a mama's boy at all. As a matter of fact, I would say he kind of chafed under his mother's rules. But he came to understand them later on. And he was a good son. I mean, I resented having to come back to the United States. I was happy living in Canada. And I most definitely did not want my son raised in this country. But Bernie's mother told him she was dying, which she did 26 years later. And I had to respect the man who would come back and take care of his mom. Even though it was me who ended up doing it. <laughs> Bernie was a good son. And he was a good husband, and he was a great father to both of my children. Mm. Bernie only has one child, despite what some idiot is out there running around saying. And I know why he only has one child, and that'll be my secret. So I laughed at this fool walking around saying, yeah, she's bitter because Bernie has children all over the place. No, he doesn't, asshole. <laughs> so as for what people say, I say what my mother used to say. They talked about Jesus Christ, so who are you? As long as I'm telling the truth, as long as I'm not garnishing the truth, then I don't have to worry about a thing. They only have to decide, what was that movie? You can't handle the truth. <laughs> I bet, uh, was it uh, 40 years ago, 45 years ago, you probably didn't anticipate that uh, George Clinton would still be doing this at 81 years old. The honest to God truth is I never gave a thought to George Clinton at all because I realized that George has toured all these years on the music from the original P-Funk. All the songs that I hear that he does, he hasn't written anything original except for that crazy stuff. So he has been pimping, working on the back of those musicians, those same musicians, all these years. He ought to be ashamed. But he needs the money, and guess what? I want George to continue working because that's the only way the musicians get any money, period. They don't get it from CD sales, DVD sales, nothing. If they sell merch at their show, he takes a percentage, period. So, no. George needs to keep working because he's got legal bills. <laughs> yeah, I had Shirley Hayden on, and um, I think she said something similarly to that. Well, I don't know, Shirley. I don't know most of them. The only one that I was kind of friends with was Dawn. Dawn Silva. And that's not to put any of the ladies down. I have my own set of friends, and they've been my friends for since I was 
uh, one of them since I was 18. And I don't trust easily, and I particularly don't trust people around, um, you know, the group, or Bernie more specifically. I would have thought maybe you knew Lynn since she also did the talking heads thing. Well, I knew Lynn, but like I said, the one person I was friendly with who was a female was Dawn. Mm. Others weren't unfriendly. It's just that Dawn and I would actually talk. And some of the females was with some of the other guys in the group, and I'm not going to mention who, and I saw them come and go. I wanted no part to any of that because I didn't ever want to be involved in it. You know, so-and-so did this to me, so-and-so did that. You know, Bernie would not have liked that at all. His thing to me was always stay out of it. Just be nice and just stay out of all of it. So I did. Well, as we uh, wrap this up, Judy, how would you like people in general to, to think of and, and remember Bernie? Just as he was, as a compassionate, humble genius. He never thought of himself as a genius. He knew he was blessed because he would say that it, it comes from and he would point up. Just as they saw Bernie is exactly how they should think of him. All right. Well, hey, I, I really appreciate you talking with me and spending the time and just sharing all that. Um, really appreciate it. I'm just so glad we also got to just uh, get to know each other a little bit. Yeah. Okie doke. All right. All right. Uh, Take uh, good care, Judy. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. You too. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth and Rhythm. A big thank you goes out to our guest as well as to you, the viewer and listener. Also, much gratitude to Pleasure for supplying the show's funky opening and closing music. As a reminder, you can always access the complete list of linked shows by episode at funkinstuff.net. I urge you to support this program and receive the extra benefits along with that by subscribing to the Funk and Stuff channel on YouTube and sharing it with funk, R&B, and jazz lovers, joining Truth and Rhythm's membership program at Patreon, submitting a donation at funkandstuff.net, buying Everything is on the One, the first guide to funk book at Amazon, shopping at the Funky Things store for cool merchandise at funkandstuff.net, and linking through funkinstuff.net for all of your Amazon purchases. In addition, if you're an artist or anyone seeking proven results-oriented professional marketing, PR, writing, or editing consultation or production, check out the media services section at funkinstuff.net. Also, I encourage you to drop me a line at scottg at funkinstuff.net. I love the feedback, suggestions, guest requests, appearance and sponsorship inquiries, and just talking about my favorite subject, groove-based music. For now, and as always, this is Scott Dr. GX Goldfine saying, keep on keep vibing, on vibing to the rhythm of the one.